Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. Two episodes in one week. Uh, the, the, the basketball season must be picking back up. Thank you so much for joining us, however you're listening, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, iHeart, Stitcher, wherever you're checking us out, even if it's on Megaphone itself or on social media. Thank you for joining us. It is much appreciated. We don't usually do two episodes in a week, but I think this is a special opportunity to do so because we have one of our very favorite guests, somebody that I have known uh, doing this blogging stuff about as long as I've been doing it, which is entirely too long at this stage. But he's uh, he's really taken off and with his career, and I'm very happy for him, and I wanted to have him on to talk about that and a little bit about uh, what his buddy Jeff Calkins wrote uh, with the lease ending in uh, Memphis potentially, uh, probably not the early termination clause and all that stuff of the Daily Memphian. Anthony Sane will be my guest. I'll bring him on here momentarily. And then in the second segment, we'll dive into basketball specifically a little bit more. Talk about my article from earlier this week about Josh Jackson, Kyle Anderson, the rotation heading into the Orlando bubble. Ways to get in touch with the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow our blog, grizzlybearblues.com, which begins its official hiring process on Friday. Uh, multiple positions available, all paid, uh, all that kind of stuff. So if you've ever wanted to work for GBB or work with GBB uh, is the best way to put it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies, and you can find details there starting Friday. You can also follow this podcast at GBB Live. Um, I mentioned his name earlier. He does a remarkable job in terms of covering the Memphis Grizzlies. He's done it in a lot of different ways, uh, but his most recent one, I would argue, is his most successful one. He's a Grizzlies beat writer for Sports Illustrated's All Grizzlies, part of the Maven Network. Uh, essentially kind of like Grizzly Bear Blues, to be honest with you, just the Sports Illustrated version. Uh, Sane's done a lot of different work, but I think he's really done a lot of his best stuff here recently as he grows uh, the all grizzly site. Anthony Sane is with us at Sane Asylum on Twitter. Sane, how are you doing, buddy? Man, I'm good, Joe. How you been, bro? I- I've been okay. You know, it's uh, it's really cool to see how far you've come. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording. You and I are kind of the only two left uh, from a bygone yeah, <laughs> in, in Grizzlies blogging. Uh, I can remember yeah. back to I think it was it must have been 2012 or 2013 a uh, a playoff part watch party. That was held at Central mm-hmm. Barbecue there on Central Avenue and uh, standing there and right. talking with you. And, you know, we, we've been around the block a time or two when it comes to uh, covering the Memphis Grizzlies. And like I said, I, I think you're really hitting your stride professionally now. And and that's evident, especially on the radio side of things. I know we recording we are recording this on Thursday night. <laughs> you are hosting uh, guest hosting the Jeff Calkins show. Uh, Jeff has been on our show multiple times, friend of GBB and obviously a friend of mm-hmm. yours. Uh, you've right. done an amazing job building up your relationship with 92.9, and and that's really cool. So first and foremost, I want to say congratulations to you. It's uh, it's well-deserved. You've been grinding for a long time, and like I said, I think all Grizzly Sane is easily the best Sane that I've seen uh, so far. Well, I appreciate you, brother. I, I do remember meeting you and your wife. Uh, I think I were, I don't think I would have been married too long. Nope, I don't even know if y'all even were all. married. Yeah, um, I met y'all. It was actually the summer location of uh, Central oh, Barbecue. Excuse met me, you I'm guys. sorry, my mistake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it was, uh, and it was uh, a GBB and uh, Three Shades of Blue collab uh, watch party. Actually, is what it was. And um, which is amazing because eventually things got pretty ugly between GBB yeah. and Three Shades of Blue. <laughs> and I was just sitting there laughing, laughing my butt off in the middle, watching it, watching it all go down. 
But yeah, know. man, we, we definitely came a long way. Um, doing this blogger stuff turned from, um, you know, being a hobby to, you know, paying my bills now. And that's a blessing, man. I tell people all the time, um, you know, I could be doing anything else other than this. I've done everything else other than this. Um, and I'm, I'm privileged, man. Like, you know, when, when the uh, COVID-19 pandemic happened, you know, I was worried about certain things, but those things have been straightened up. You know, I'm not really concerned about that anymore. And just, it's just a blessing, man, to be able to cover my home team, you know, the city I grew up in, the city I love. And, um, you know, to, to, to do this for a living, I still try to put as much heart and effort into it as I, as I can try to have content out there, anything related to the Grizzlies. I try to share my thoughts on it on allgrizzlies.com. And um, it's just exciting times, man, exciting times for the city, for the franchise. We have a, you know, a superstar player here in John Morant, Jaron Jackson, another great player, Brandon Clark. You know, the future is just bright for this organization, for this team. And it's just a great time to be covering the team right now. You're exactly right. And I do think that with all that is going on around the team and obviously all that's going on in the country, uh, I think it's important that your vi- voice continues to be amplified mm-hmm. because especially in Memphis, and I know you were talking about this on the Jason and John show this past week uh, with mm-hmm. your guest spot, you know, in a city like Memphis, that's, you know, predominantly black uh, and you have so few voices in the sports media market, especially on radio, television, you know, I think Jarvis Greer and Doc Holiday, but uh, Holiday isn't even on television anymore, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. So you you have a limited uh, amount of folks that uh, obviously should be more engaged in the sports media scene, of course, nationally, but specifically in our market in Memphis, you know, whether it's you shy uh, who did work with beyond the, uh, beyond the arc, the hoops blog over at uh, the Memphis flyer, obviously she's mm-hmm. been around a while, you know, there's plenty of people, it, the black lives matter movement is not just about the very basic and necessary change our society needs to make when it comes to police relations. Right. It's also trying to make it clear that there should be more coming from the black community when it comes to things like sports media. And I right. think that you, you're really doing a good job highlighting that and, and prioritizing that in, an, in a market that, where it should be prioritized. So that's another area right. of kudos for you. Yeah, like I said on uh, Jason and John uh, show a couple of days ago, it's just time to cut the crap, man. I mean, you heard the, you heard the comments that Bill Simmons made. You know, and <laughs> I haven't been that offended, you know, after midnight in, in a long time. And, and when I saw the comments he made about, you know, this isn't uh, open mic night or whatever, it, it's just ridiculous, man. And and to hear someone say t- something like that as far as uh, what the black voice means or and then I, I saw people in the comments saying, you know, he's right. You know, it, either you can write or you can't write those type of things like, man, you, you're not going to tell me that there aren't enough uh qualified you know african-american or just minority right. writers in general and we say african-american a lot but not just african-american but you know even african-american women or latino women or sure however you want to look at it it's just it's just doesn't make any sense and like i also talked about on the show um it's almost like to be black and to do what we do you have to have this extra set of credentials that you don't see as a necessity for white men and it's just kind of crazy, man. It's like, you know, like you talked about Doc Holliday and Jarvis Greer. Both of those guys are former athletes. You know, right. why, why is that Why is that almost a necessary criteria? Like if you cut on ESPN, you cut on Fox Sports, whatever you're cutting on, if you see a black face on there, it's a high chance that he's a former athlete. But with the white uh, guys you see on TV or you hear on the radio, 
could be just, might be anybody, some guy that was an intern or you know worked Brian with Brian Weinhorst. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure just, he wasn't you know, a, a, it's just a guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But you you rarely see that um, on the black side. You know, you know, you have guys like Stephen A. Smith, of course, who you know weren't um, pro athletes or whatever. But it's the vast majority of what you see is almost to the point where they have to be a former athlete or former professional athlete, almost. You know, to even get a chance. And uh, I'm just glad in the position I'm, that I'm in, I don't take it lightly at all. Um, I understand um, the importance of it. It humbles me sometimes to think about um, as a as a black man in the city, um, the responsibility I had, the people that are listening to me, the ears that are on me, the eyes that are on me. You know, people uh, message me sometimes and and say things like, you know, like, bro, you know, we, we pulling for you and you need to be hosting uh, permanent. You need your own show. And, you know, not trying to knock anybody else. It kind of it's kind of cringe it kind of makes me uncomfortable when people say well saying needs to be on instead of xyz like i you know i don't i don't think that has to happen i think that there's room for you know everyone in this city you know of course i like my chance but i don't want to tear anyone else down but it's just humbling man like when people especially young cats you know um got a guy who writes for uh allgreases.com now a kid named lee alwin deberry who um he's a journalism major at the university of memphis and the opportunity for him to write as part of all grizzlies he basically came in my um dm on twitter and said he just wants advice and i could just tell this is you know this this is a young black man who trusted me who probably looks up to me as, as someone to um you know kind of pattern his his career after and at first i told him i said man you're in a whole lot better position than i am because i didn't i started off doing this in my mid-30s bro you know what i mean <laughs> like this is something right, i did yeah. Yeah, I got a very late start doing this. I just started off being a loud mouth in, in, in grizzly Facebook groups and I always could write or whatever. And that just turned into me um, blogging. Shout out to Brooks Hansen with then 24-7 Sports, the first place I ever blog, writing about the Tigers, writing about Tiger basketball. And that's now turned into a career. And I told him, I said, man, you've got to step ahead of me because, you know, you're in college, you're going to school to do this. And I brought him on board. I said, man, the best way for me to help you is to give you a landing spot, give you somewhere to put your stuff and just, you know, do your thing. And uh, that's that's the vibe I'm on now, man. Of course, I do want individual success for myself. I love to have a radio show. I love to advance uh, with Maven, with Sports Illustrated, whatever company may want me to write for them. But I'm really doing it for the next generation, man. I really want to open up more doors for minorities, people of color, men and women. It's extremely important. And I will say, you know, obviously, uh, we've never worked together, but I've always kind of viewed you not not as competition or anything like that. I've I've always saw you as somebody, you know, I'm a competitive guy. I am a former athlete. Right. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. There's a competitive nature, but I, I'm a big believer, especially at this stage. We talked earlier in the show about uh, the, the drama that happened earlier in our careers, mm-hmm. um, right. mostly my career. Um, it's it's a rising tides raise all ships kind of thing now. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested in what you guys are doing over there. And obviously anything you need, I'm happy to help with and vice versa. And exactly. diversifying Grizzly Bear Blues is something that I continue to prioritize. You know, we had uh, Ed Memphis wrote an excellent piece for us recently mm-hmm. that, you know, three or four years ago, I'm pretty sure wouldn't have run at grizzlybearblues.com. <laughs> uh, but it was very well done and well thought out. And we've had other you know, writers of color, more women involved, and I'm with you. I think it's something mm-hmm. that needs to continue to be prioritized. Uh, and, you know, as a leader of one of the larger media things in Memphis when it comes to covering the Grizzlies, I need to continue to be better on that front as well. So um, it's it's yeah. awesome to see you doing that, and I'm going to continue to do try to do my part on my front yeah. as well. Um, before we end this segment, I do want to get your take. Again, your guest hosting for Jeff Calkins on uh, 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis – 
Friday morning. Jeff wrote a piece for the Daily Memphian, where obviously he uh, works now, talking about the early termination clause being short on selling tickets. Make sure you go check it out if you haven't already checked it out. Uh, but essentially saying that the Grizzlies at this stage of their relationship with the city of Memphis, Shelby County, uh, the FedEx Forum lease, they could technically terminate their relationship uh, with that organization or with the FedEx Forum because of an underselling of tickets. And the Grizzlies are probably well under the number that was established. I don't have it off the top of my head. It was 15,000 mm-hmm. something, I believe, uh, was the right. number. And, you know, it seems like every and again, you and I have been doing this a long time now, saying it seems like at least twice a year there's a rumor or Para wants to move the team or, you know, before that it was uh, Heisley, even there were rumors. And then, you know, all this stuff that was going on in between Jason Levian, right? You know, there are all these guys that wanted to try to get the Grizzlies out of town and. Um, it never really is founded because of this lease and how steadfast it was. This caught people by surprise a little bit. Um, but it is important to point out that both sides have skin to lose in this. And I wrote about that for grizzlybearblues.com. It's not mm-hmm. easy to just, you know, go out and relocate. You need, obviously, Seattle seems to be willing. Las Vegas probably would take on somebody, but there's money that you invest. There's hoops that you have to jump through. That lease is still pretty steadfast. <clears throat> and Memphis has invested a lot in the Grizzlies. And vice versa. The Grizzlies have invested a lot in Memphis. So I wanted to get your take on how all that looks like it's kind of playing out. Both sides seem to want to come to an agreement, uh, but it does kind of get tiring when you always read, like you said, the excitement of John Morant, the fact that Zach Kleiman and company in one year have made a franchise that seemed to have no direction at all. And Chris Wallace said as much. Uh taking that and turning it into one of the brightest futures in the NBA, it's a pretty remarkable feat. Whenever people try to take that away from you, that has to get pretty tiring to the average Memphian, right? Yeah, um, it's it's really unfortunate because a lot of stuff that we hear, unfortunately, comes from Memphians. Is you know right. you hear a lot of people within the city. Um, you know you're not from here. You you lived here for um, a, a nice period of time, but even you knew that there was a lot of. Um, uh, a lot of a uh, defeated attitude with a lot of people here in the city of Memphis. Oh, absolutely, it, re- it really, it really gets uh, frustrating when um, when people just like native Memphians will, will will talk about well, you know, like when when Zebo retired, oh, oh, the Grizzlies is gonna be in Nashville in a minute. Watch and uh, all this kind of stuff, and it's just it's really deflating. It's really discouraging. I think that both sides will work things out. I haven't written or really said too much about it today because it, it caught me off guard. I I forgot about it. You know what I mean? I didn't really have a grasp on it. I'm still trying to read different articles about it, trying to get my own understanding of it. Um, but the only, only questions I have, and I'll ask these to Jeff tomorrow when he calls in on the show, um, I have questions about, was this something that was initiated with Heisley? Was this a para thing? Like, I don't really know who started this, who put this, um, put this clause in the lease or whatever, because I don't, um, I think Para wants the team to be here. I think he wants to work with the city of Memphis. I mean, we're talking about the same guy who um, who basically said, hey, you know, doing the whole COVID-19 thing, I'm going to pay all the employees here who are, you know, of course, citizens of Memphis. I'm going to open up the FedEx form as an emergency overflow if if the city needs it for COVID-19. I'm going to donate all this money for food, resources, all these type of things to the city of Memphis. Those aren't things a guy would do if he has a disconnection to the city. Now, he's he's not the owner that's going to be sitting at the front row, you know, with a rallying towel or, or high-fiving John Moran. He's not that type of owner. Now, he used to be. He, you know, he came out right. being looking like he was going to be that type of guy, but he's he's a lot more reserved now. Uh, when he got his money up, he switched the game up. <laughs> but uh, 
but he seems to be a guy that's connected to the city or, or, or even from a distance. You know, he wants the city to do well, it seems. And I think he's had ample opportunity to make more moves. And I think that if he was trying to do something, you would hear about it. And um, like I said, he's he's made an improvements to the FedEx form. He's brought in a uh, remarkable front office that includes, um, you know, Jason Wexler, who lives here. Um, he's a Memphian and he's the president of his team. You know what I mean? So uh, I think those things matter. And I think that they'll come to um, a medium where they, we can get this resolved. We can get this taken care of. I'm confident that it will, especially when you look at circumstances like like for next season. We don't even know they're going to be fans at all, and, and right. especially for the whole season. So look at the loss that they would take as far as this concern. Um, and I just, I just think it's going to work out, man. I think that both sides are going to come together and figure out a way to make this happen um, where the team stays here as long as possible. Because, again, they both have so much invested. You know, the Grizzlies right. Foundation, which has done a remarkable job mentoring the youth in Memphis, the relationship right. with St. Jude. There, there's so many things that you could point at. And then from a player perspective, and I mentioned that in my piece, uh, from the player perspective, you know, whether it was Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, Mike Conley, you know, going back to Pal Gasol with St. Jude, uh, John Morant now. You know, there's so many guys that are investing in the community and trying to make things better. Uh, we'll go to a break on this saying. I'm curious – because you mentioned I lived in Memphis for three years. I was there from 2011 until 2014. And mm -hmm. I was a in my day job, for folks that don't know, I'm a teacher and a football coach. I taught at Bolton High School. Shout out to the Wildcats. And uh, and I was, the, I was the defensive coordinator there. And in my time in Memphis, you mentioned earlier the defeatist attitude. And I noticed that a lot in my kids, especially, that I worked with on a daily basis. And, and then just interacting with people in the community and that sort of thing. There are a lot of problems in Memphis, and we're not going to bemoan those because if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have a decent understanding of the things that are happening there. But Calkins points out in his column, and I reiterate it in my article Whatever Robert Pera eventually decides to do with his property, essentially, which is an NBA organization, a franchise, as a governor, that's going to be up to him. You know, it's up to Memphis to control what they can control and continue to try to improve and build upon the momentum that started when right. I was there, like at the early parts of 2010s and even before that. One of the larger points of the Memphis Grizzlies existing in the first place was to help rebuild and build up the economy of the city of Memphis and Shelby County. And there has been some positive growth in that area. Now, COVID-19 obviously has hit the reset button on some of those things, but it's up to Memphis to support FedEx and FedEx to stay strong in an era where Amazon's starting to bite into some of their industry. It's up to mm -hmm. Memphis to continue to invest in the youth, keep young people in Memphis, give them incentive, the best and brightest of the city to stay, not have so much transient movement where people go in and out of the city. And I'm a good example of that, to be honest with you. Right. I came mm -hmm. and I left and, uh, you know, it wasn't because Memphis was bad. My life took me away. But I've had friends that have left the city that said they left for reasons that are not similar to that. Um, so it, it's it's one of those things where the city can continue to kind of focus on itself to make it so that it's not just a place where an NBA franchise exists, but an NBA franchise thrives. Uh, what right. are some things that you think that, again, it, obviously the Grizzlies are helping in a lot of ways. And I do think that Memphians understand that there's growth that still needs to be done. You as a native Memphian, what would you like to continue to see the city do as having the resource of an NBA franchise there? How can that continue to be used as an asset to help the city continue to move forward? You know, you, you said you lived here for three years. I thought it was longer than that, but 
you lived here for three years. I'm I'm sitting here in year number forty. You know what I mean? So right, sure, yeah, uh, right. And with that being said, like, um, I just think it's simpler than that. I think Memphis is one of those cities where, when there's a good product on the court, you know this, you saw it yourself. You were here during the the prime of the grit and grind era. You remember how Grizz Twitter was during that time. You know, it, it wasn't sellouts, but we had great crowds during that time. You know, it, it was hard to get a ticket. It was it was the place to be. It was jamming. It was rocking. And I think that would, you know, with what they're doing now, the success that definitely looks like it's on the horizon. I think it's going to be jamming in there again. I think it's going to be even more uh, with with Josh, Jaren, those type of guys here. Uh, I think this one of those things is just going to work itself out as far as attendance goes. Um, I think the city is, is. I think the city is doing well. I think the city is doing a lot. Um, you're seeing a lot of um, rebuilding things, new things opened up, new things are coming here. And um, another benefit that the Grizzlies have is that. Uh, in the 20 years that they came here, a lot of the uh, smaller kids, like that are my son's age, six, seven, and eight, kids who go crazy when they see John and Jaren pop up on television. Like Gabe was watching something about Vince Carter today, and they interviewed John and Jaren. And when he saw both of them, he's like, got excited. Gabe's never watched a Grizzly game ever, but he knows who John and Jaren are. You know what I mean? I can't get him to sit down and watch a game. But what something, the point I'm trying to make is, in his 20 years that the Grizzlies have been here, there was these small fans that were kids who are now adults who are buying tickets now. And I think that that's something that um, those guys who have grown and this team has been ingratiated in them. Um, I think that's going to affect things as well. So uh, I think, I think they're in good hands. I think the city is going to be in good hands with the team. I agree. Cause it's important to remember that this team was supposed to be bad. You know, I said it on mm-hmm. a, a spot. Uh, Drew Hill was filling in for Gary Parrish on Wednesday and I was on his show and talking about the reality of the team was supposed to be bad. You know, if we were going by preseason prognostication, the Grizzlies would be, you know, one of the delete eight as the name has kind of caught on right. for uh, for the eight teams that aren't in the Orlando bubble. Memphis was supposed to be one of those eight teams. The fact mm-hmm. that they're here is still surprising. So I do think Memphians may have even thought, yeah, they might be fun, but they're not going to be very good. I'll, I'll pay attention when they're good. Well, chances are they're going to be pretty good. Uh, they may... You know, there's an outside chance they don't make the or not even outside. I think if Golden State is healthy next season and obviously you have other teams that take steps, Memphis could be on the outside looking into the postseason next year. But they will be, in theory, potentially better than they are this year. And if you say that the Grizzlies can get better, similar to the Pelicans and the Kings. You know, maybe Memphis takes a pretty big jump. I think that's within the realm of possibility as well. So the team's going to get better. You have a lot of positivity going around the franchise. The rebuild doesn't look like it's going to be as long and ugly as it possibly could have been. And that's a big positive, of course. Uh, We're going to finish up this segment here with Anthony Sane at Sane Asylum on Twitter. He does uh, amazing work for the All Grizzlies uh, website. (laughs) <laughs> illustrated network of blogs. I'm telling you, I'm getting right. flustered here, Shane. Uh, we're going to keep them around for the next segment. Parker Fleming's going to join us, my co-host and associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com. We're going to get a little more basketball-centric, talking about Kyle Anderson, Josh Jackson, and how things are looking for the Orlando bubble. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am one of your hosts, Joe Molinax. I am joined now, uh, in addition to Anthony Sane, who comes back for the second segment here, uh, I am joined by my co-host Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing, buddy? You know, I'm good. I had to recover from our Slack conversation from earlier. Oh I thought I was going to have to go straight to the liquor cabinet in that conversation. So it was but really I'm good bad. Now. I'm good. 
It was really bad. Sane, I would recommend this as you build up all Grizzlies and maybe you have a staff and that sort of thing. First off, mm-hmm. you probably don't want 20 people in a Slack channel. That might be my first piece of advice. Um, secondly, uh, you don't want to have people that just yell at each other over random things and you get notifications because you made certain words uh, key things and it just it got messy over there today. Lots of uh, lots of feelings and takes being thrown around on the GBB Slack channel. Yeah, that sounds like something I don't want any part of. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, not at all. But uh, but we're we're working on the the restructuring of the site and that sort of thing. And and those folks, they're passionate. And we were talking about in the first segment that generational fandom that the Memphis Grizzlies are starting to or will be starting soon to be reaping the benefits of. Obviously, saying you're a good example of that. Um, if I had stayed in the city, I would have been a good example of that. Taking my daughters to games. So that that's right. something that you know I do think the financial side of things will improve i'm with you there but again getting getting back to more basketball centric stuff um i wrote a piece earlier in the week talking about josh jackson who you have been a big supporter of throughout the year and turns out you were right on that front uh, in terms of him being a a serviceable at worst nba player at this stage of his career uh versus kyle anderson the war of the wings is what i called it and going into it i assumed that would be a 10-man rotation going into the orlando bubble Taylor Jenkins, the head coach of the Grizzlies, has played 11-man rotations throughout the season. 11 seems a little bit much to me for the playoffs because I think with an 11-man rotation, and Parker, I know you're working on a piece for next week, uh, it gets a little bit messy uh, trying to get John, Jaron, the minutes they need to be effective in the playoffs with an 11-man rotation. So 10 is a number that I think makes the most sense saying. If you're doing a 10-man rotation, that assumes that John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Justice Winslow, who obviously will be somewhat limited, uh, we assume, because he hasn't played all season. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas, Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, um, Brandon Clark, and Gorgie Dieng. And I include Dieng because if Memphis makes the playoffs, they're going to have to play the Lakers. And if nobody's watched the Lakers this season, they're gigantic. Okay, They are one of the biggest teams in the entire NBA. You're going to need a second center. Uh, against the Lakers and Yang is also a good basketball player so it works out so you you assume that those nine guys are definitely going to be in the rotation you have a pretty big hole on the wing when it comes to a larger wing who can play multiple positions two through four DeAnthony Melton's undersized Brandon Clark isn't that good of a ball handler so that led me to Josh Jackson versus Kyle Anderson saying I'm going to be honest with you when I wrote that article I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet or not I was mm-hmm. not expecting to come to the conclusion that Josh <clears throat> Jackson should be the 10th man But my research, watching tape, uh, thinking about all the ways that things kind of worked out this season, Josh Jackson should be the 10th man. And the main reason that I made that argument is for me, and I know you agreed with this as well because we talked about it earlier in the year, the main goal of this season all along, the fact that they're good is icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. The main goal of this season all along was to figure out who can play with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. long-term and who can best amplify their skill set at this young age. Josh Jackson does that better as a three-point threat, as a versatile athlete, than Kyle Anderson does with his unique skill set that was signed to be a part of the revitalization of grit and grind, which never really happened because J.B. Bickerstaff was in Memphis for a year and then he was let go when the uh, GM overturn and all that stuff happened. So I'm curious as to, like I said, I'm pretty sure you probably agree with me on Josh Jackson over Kyle Anderson, but how do you feel about that logic that Jackson kind of amplifies and, and helps out making Ja and Jaron the best versions of themselves that they can be better than Kyle does? 
I um I said this earlier when before the season started when I first started talking about Josh Jackson stuff back when um they were talking about not bringing him to camp or whatever they you know didn't begin the season. Um, I said if you I said if you want to say that Ja is the best player is going to be the best player on his team, I can make an argument where skill set wise as far as uh, the measurables like things like um, you know has athleticism his uh, height. Uh, those type of things, ability, what he can do. If you want to say Josh number one, I, I said I can make a case where you could say just on those type of things where you could say Josh Jackson is number two on the whole roster. And I said if you want to say that Jaron is the best player on the team, I can make a case where Josh Jackson still is number two. I, I You can look at it either way. And still today, either if you want to say John and Jaron are easily your two best players on the team, as far as like potential and things that the guy is able to do on the basketball court, Josh Jackson is up there. He's probably number three. If 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 not if I don't I don't think he could be any worse than four as far as what he's able to do on the basketball court. The thing with uh, Josh is we don't know we haven't seen enough. I hate to say small sample size, but we haven't seen enough of what Josh can do. But I think this is the time where the Grizzlies really need to see what they have in him, because, especially with him being a free agent this summer. And sure, I know we had to, you know, we're trying to make the playoffs. We're trying to do all those things. But this is still a team that's in development, and they have to think about their future. Now, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Anderson. I made um, Kyle Anderson Photoshop edits back when he was a rookie, in before he was a rookie, in Grizzlies uniforms. Big fan of Kyle Anderson. Always have been, probably always will be. But – there's always been questions of how Kyle fits into Taylor Jenkins' system. And he fits more as he fits better as a as a post player than he does as a wing. Because if you if you kick the ball out to him, he's not going to shoot it. And I know there are times where Ja was doing exactly what coach was telling him to do. And there were plays where Ja would kick it to Kyle where uh, Jay Crowder used to be. And it was a totally different re- result. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was, I was like, there has to be something better than a Kyle Anderson corner three-pointer. So uh, Josh will take that shot. Josh can, Josh, uh, Josh can get to the basket. Uh, he can knock down mid-range bat shots. Um, and there were plays, uh, I don't know if you remember the Sacramento game. There was a, That was a game where a lot of people forget about this. We end up losing that game. But Josh Jackson had some Tony Allen-like, you know, defensive plays where I want to say he had like two or three steals in a row. And like coming, he almost willed us. Coming out of Kansas, you're exactly right. He was projected yeah. to be that kind of a player. It yeah. just never manifested, whether it's because of what happened in the in Phoenix with mm-hmm. that dumpster fire of an organization or whatever the case may be. He right. was supposed to be that type of elite defender from the beginning, and it's never really right. happened. But you saw flashes of it. You're exactly right. right. Yeah, and I just think that uh, the Grizzlies have to figure out a way to um, – to maximize on the moment they're in where, where they should be competitive and still see what you have in Josh because it's, it could be a crucial decision. Josh Jackson could be one of those guys who you look up, he's playing for another team, and he's really helping out. Um, you know, I like Josh. I like Josh personally. I like him in the locker room. Uh, you know, I joke about me being um, the Amar Rashad, Michael Jordan, and, uh, you know, that's that's all fun. But I, I, really, I really hope the Grizzlies do hang on to Josh. I think he's a great player. I think he's got a tremendous motor. I think he has a will to – to be in the league and be a great player. And, uh, you know, I just hope he gets, you know, every, continues to keep everything together. Uh, he's a guy that you haven't really talked too much about as far as with the whole quarantine and and uh, the bubble campus and things like that. But I just hope that he has everything squared away. And I just hope the Grizzlies use him uh, during this whole time. For me, we talked about this yesterday on the core four, about the rotations, what happens when you shorten it and all that. 
And if you get down to 10, like I know, Joe, you mentioned you game plan for the Lakers as far as that's who you're playing in the playoffs. But first, you got to get there. And it's just tough for me because ideally, let me ask you all this real quick. Y'all want to play Jaron Jackson about 35 minutes, fouls permitting, and then Clark and Jonas Valanciunas at 25 minutes, right? Something like that I I think would be fine. All right, so that would leave about 10 about 10 to 11 minutes for one more front court member. And you got to decide whether you want to go more modern and put Kyle at the four and give more of those backup five minutes to Jaron or have a pure backup five with Gorgie Dang. Because statistically speaking, Jaron's better at the five with the plus minus. Granted, it's not great. He's a minus 5.2 at the four and a minus 1.7 at the five. So... That might actually just open up the floor for him. I mean, if he's being guarded by fives, that's great. But I think Josh is almost, I think he should be that ninth or tenth guy because I said on the core four yesterday, he has that skill set, just that chaos factor of you don't know what you're going to get because of his talent, but also his inconsistency. He can win you a game in the bubble, whether it's with his scoring, his shooting, his defensive intensity. He can win you a game in the bubble, something that I don't think Kyle Anderson or Gorgie Dan can do. With Kyle versus Gorgie, it's never it's not gonna be to the extent of Joe with Solomon Hill and Jay Crowder. Oh god, but, I hated Jay Crowder so much. But Gorgie Dang is kind of getting a little overhyped a little bit. We had people saying that there wouldn't be much difference between playing Gorgie and playing Jonas. And I that's what drove me to the liquor cabinet. But Kyle's a negative 8.4 at the three, and he's a plus 6.6 at the four. And also I took a, another look at it where the lineups where Jaron was at the five, he is a about a neutral with Brandon Clark. But three out of those five negative lineups, Jay Crowder was in, was in like three of them. And out of the 10 negative lineups that Jaron was at the five, Jay Crowder was in seven of them. So... I think a lot of those numbers are skewed because, like you say, Joe, Jay Crowder is not a super impactful basketball player. But you know what Jay Crowder did? And it brings us back to what Sane was talking about, and he's exactly right. The reason that I went with Josh Jackson instead of Kyle Anderson, Josh Jackson shoots threes per 100 possessions at a similar clip to Jay Crowder. Okay, they they both launch the three. And as Sane pointed out, Kyle Anderson does not launch the three. Kyle Anderson mm-hmm. shoots the three like Jonas Valanciunas shoots the three in terms of attempts. And Jonas is a better three-point shooter percentage-wise than Kyle is. So Kyle is the worst three-point shooter on the team. Josh Jackson isn't great shooting from three. He's at about 32%, but he's a threat to actually shoot the ball. Like Sane said, Kyle's not going to shoot it. So when you have Josh in that spot, it allows for the offense to at least have another threat from the perimeter. And the fact that Kyle is a great facilitator, that's true. But the gap between Josh and Kyle when it comes to assists, when it comes to assist percentage, anything that measures actually helping create for others, Kyle's better than Josh, but it's not that big of a gap. The gap between Josh and Kyle when it comes to being willing to shoot the three is gigantic. And I think that that's a main reason that you go with Josh, in addition to the fact that he can really kind of carry the team in spots in terms of his ceiling, as you both have pointed out. The thing for me that you kind of that I kind of look at, and you got to ask yourself this too, is: Would you rather have the impacts that you get with Kyle Anderson at the four 
with Jaron Jackson playing the five? Or do you want to go with the more traditional backup center like Georgie Dang? That's really all it comes down to. It depends on matchups, right? I think mm-hmm. it'll depend on matchups, how you perceive the Lakers, for example. And you're right that they got to get to the playoffs in the first place. So if if Memphis is playing Houston, for example, and Houston doesn't really have a traditional center, obviously Gorgie Jang doesn't need to play that game. You can have a point center essentially in Kyle Anderson, and you can have some switchability defensively. You know, say you have Justice Winslow running the point, and you have Justice Winslow and uh, other players getting off on that front. You really have an opportunity to be explosive as a defense in terms of your switching if Kyle is able to play the five. But Kyle's not going to be able to do that when he's playing center, or excuse me, when he's uh, playing against the Lakers. The Lakers are too big. They'll dominate Kyle in the post. You need Gorgie Dang. So they have the depth, and I know that you guys have talked about the depth in the Slack channel and, and all that stuff. The Grizzlies have the depth to be able to kind of throw different pitches at a batter, so to speak, using the baseball analogy. You know, you can have a changeup and bring Kyle in at the five, depending on matchup, or you can be more traditional and throw the fastball down the middle with Gorgie Dang and Jaron Jackson Jr. at the four. They can do a lot of different things. It comes down to how Taylor Jenkins plans on attacking the bubble. Does he want to try to stick with an 11-man rotation? I think once he gets to the playoffs, that would be a mistake, but he's the head NBA basketball coach, and I'm the blogger, so maybe he understands where he's supposed to be on that front. Um, There's a lot of levels to kind of consider when it comes to this. We are talking with Anthony Sane. And obviously my co-host uh, Parker Fleming is with us as well at Paca underscore Flocka on Twitter. If you don't already follow Parker, the associate editor, uh, my number two essentially over at grizzlybearblues.com. And again, Sane joins us at Sane Asylum, Grizzlies beat writer for Sports Illustrated's All Grizzlies. You can catch him ho- co-hosting or excuse me, guest hosting the Jeff Calkins show on Friday, checking out uh, everything that's going on with the Grizzlies, talking with Jeff, uh, I believe at the 930 a segment about Jeff's column that we discussed in the first segment uh, saying I'm curious to kind of get a feeling for what you perceive to be the main focus of this bubble return. And we'll get you out of here on this. You posted a video, uh, an exclusive video to all Grizzlies of John ja Morant working out, getting more physically fit in terms of his size. You know, John's ja never going to be this big muscle bound guy, but he can certainly add bulk in good spots. And that'll probably help with his durability moving forward. What do you want to see most out of Ja Morant going into the bubble, going into this opportunity to play basketball in a pretty unique way? As we mentioned before, the fact that they're even in this spot, everything that happens after this is icing on the cake. So what do you want to see out of these first eight games? If Memphis has to play the play-in or if they go straight to the playoffs, whatever it might be, the Grizzlies aren't probably going to make a prolonged playoff run because the Lakers are a juggernaut. But what do you want to see from let's say Memphis plays eight games and then they play in the play-in, you know, they win one game there just, and they may not play in the play-in. I'm just saying hypothetically, that's nine. Say they play a five game series against the Lakers. That puts you at 14 ish games that Memphis will have. What do you really want to see out of the future superstar? You could argue current superstar uh, of the Memphis Grizzlies, John Morant during this sprint to end the season. Um, I want to see less fourth quarter jaw and more four quarters jaw. And what I mean by that is I want Ja to be aggressive as a scorer uh, the entire game. I think Ja um, 
you know, he's he's been known for being uh, he's one of the best four quarter scorers, scorers in the entire NBA, not just rookies. He's put some phenomenal numbers up in the fourth quarter throughout the season. I just want to see him be that guy who's aggressive, setting the tone early as a scorer. Um, we know he's one of the better distributors in the league. Uh, I want to see him just be uh, uber aggressive and just uh, putting up buckets early, getting to the basket, getting fouled, uh, getting his team behind him. And I think this is just his time to shine. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, people overlooking the Grizzlies. I know Ja uh, is one of those guys who kind of seems like he takes things personal once once he's been counted out, he's been doubted. That's been his driving force his entire uh, career. He's been counted out and, you know, underrated forever. And um, I think it's just time for him to go. He's he's born to go, and I think we're going to see it uh, in Orlando. Um, I'm not. I don't really care what the end result is, but I want to see Ja take it to a next level as far as being that that star player on the team and just you know carrying the team on his shoulders if he has to. The Zion Williamson stuff gets old, and I know it bothers you too. And you make the, yes. the weight, you, you make the weight jokes, and they're funny on Twitter. Um, right. but, but it gets old how they try to anoint him after 18 games played. Right. some force of nature. John Morant's been doing it for a much longer time, and I'm not trying to say that I would take Jaw over Zion today if the draft was redone, but mm-hmm. what I am trying to say is I think that you're exactly right. John Morant gets overlooked. Going back to bring our conversation full circle, the city of Memphis gets overlooked. The mm-hmm. The Grizzlies as a basketball franchise, when they made the Western Conference Finals, you're, you're right. I was fortunate enough to be in the city for that Western Conference Finals run. I was at a Western Conference Finals game, and and even then, you know, it felt like people didn't expect to be there. They were looking around like, "Wow, this is weird." Memphis is really hosting a Western Conference Finals game. Like, mm-hmm. we are capable as a franchise of doing pretty impressive things, and John Morant is capable of being a star player in the NBA. He's done it throughout this season. The the Zion Williamson versus the Bulls, you know, Michael Jordan, 86 Celtics, whatever convoluted fabrication of reality that people are trying to establish for him. It's frustrating because John Morant has been doing it the entire season. Zion Williamson's only been around for 18 games. You have a star in Memphis who's capable of being that type of guy, maybe not as flashy in terms of the physicality. Zion Williamson is essentially Shaq at this point. But Ja can be a lot of different things in a lot of different ways, and he has been. And it just seems like because he's in Memphis, because it's with the Grizzlies, the the lack of attention that they consistently get, it just seems like he's getting overlooked, and he shouldn't. So I, I do think that it's going to be a chance for him to take over. I agree with you on that saying. The, the hope being that he's going to get to be aggressive, that he's going to get to be that four-quarters jaw instead of fourth-quarter jaw. I think that's a great way to put it. And really take this team on his shoulders because that's what they're going to need. If they're going to surprise people in terms of not needing a play-in and just going straight to the playoffs, because that would be a surprise, mm-hmm. I think, at this point to a lot of people if there wasn't a play-in in the West. If they're able to overcome the adversity, and I use that loosely because I think the schedule is pretty form- or favorable for Memphis to make the playoffs the way that it's worked out, but if you're going to surprise people and not need a play in, if you're going to take a game or two from the Lakers or heaven forbid, somehow miraculously push it to a seven game series, you're going to need John Morant to at times, even when he's sharing the floor with LeBron James and Anthony Davis to be the best player on the court. He's right. shown flashes of that capacity saying, but he, he really just needs to, instead of trying to get his other guys going first, he's going to have to just try to take games over. 
Yeah, I totally agree. He's gonna he's gonna have to go there, and I think that um I think that he kind of realizes it. I think that he realizes he's on a, a big stage, and I think the talking, all the things that the, the talking heads have been saying over the last few months, even going back before the pandemic. I remember um you know when we were in Atlanta, you could just tell like you could just tell that the players were frustrated with the things they were hearing. How it was just a matter of time before Portland or New Orleans was going to pass them. So I think he's definitely. I think him and not just him. But I think the whole team, the whole organization, really is just uh, rolling their eyes at some of the things that they're hearing. And I think that they're ready. They're, they're going to come in uh, focused once they, the ball goes. The ball rolls out in Orlando. Parker, what do you want to see out of John Morant most when the, when things get going in the bubble? I agree with a lot with what Sane said consistency through fourth quarter or through the all four quarters instead of just going zero to 100 in the fourth quarter. Um, I mean, he is a rookie point guard. That's something that he is extraordinary as he is. This is a tall task ahead of him. I think I would also like to see maybe double digit assists each game when he's back, try to get Jaron Jackson going early, try to get Jonas Valanciunas in the pick and roll and just take advantage of, you know, having four months away from basketball, push the pace. Uh, we've alluded to time and time again, the Grizzlies have the depth where they can realistically run all 48 minutes. And you have a point, you have two point guards actually that can push the tempo and all that. I want to see that out of jaw, just push the tempo, tempo, pedal to the floor, maybe catch a few bodies here and there at the rim. And as long as we just get an aggressive John Morant for all 48 minutes for all eight plus games, that's ha- that's good with me. Aggressive jaw is going to be our favorite jaw, just like aggressive, aggressive Mark was our favorite Mark uh, back in the Marcus all days. Um, shout out to Marcus all being super skinny now, by the way, if Zion Williamson is fat, apparently Marcus all has, has lost a Zion Williamson amount of weight in terms of his uh, in terms of his fitness. We're finishing up here with Anthony Sane at Sane Asylum on Twitter. If you don't already follow him there, Grizzlies beat writer for Sports Illustrated's All Grizzlies. Uh, again, uh, guest hosting the Jeff Calkins Show on 92.9 FM ESPN Memphis. He has a weekly spot with Jason and John there. Uh, we, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, Sane and I are kind of the last two left. If we're going to use a wrestling analogy, it's like the Undertaker and Triple H at WrestleMania. Uh, the, the last two, <laughs> the last yeah. two from the blogger attitude era. Um, I, I'm going to say that you're Triple H, Sane, <laughs> and I'm the Undertaker because I just refuse to die. Like I'm the one that probably should have <laughs> died a long time ago. You're you're the one that'll run the whole show eventually, like Triple H does now. I'm the one right. that probably should have left a few years ago, and I just refuse to. I gotta find who I gotta find who Vince McMahon's daughter is in this whole equation and, and see I can make something happen. That would be that would be a smart way to finish it out. Um, Sane, I want to get you out of here on this. Just taking a look at what Memphis and the Grizzlies are in terms of that city. Uh, we talked a little bit about the ticket sales and how they'll improve. What do you see in terms of the long term vision of the franchise? Because in our Slack channel, part of the conversation that made Parker want to start drinking um, was when do you pull the trigger on one of these trades that get floated? Like Parker was berated on Twitter for a trade that wasn't his idea for Bradley Beal, right? It came from a Bleacher Report article, I think. And Mm -hmm. it was Justice Winslow, Dylan Brooks. Uh, Was it was Valanchunas involved in that, Parker? I don't remember. Or was it Brandon Clark? It was Brandon Clark, Justice Winslow, Dylan Brooks the Grizzlies 2022 pick and then the Utah pick. 
that's not that outlandish for Bradley Beal. I'm not saying I would do it. I, I think it's fair to say that Memphis maybe should say no because you're spending all of your capital on an all-star wing in terms of his ability to score, but he's also older. There's all sorts of reasons to argue against it. But, you know, people just rejected it outwardly. And I, I do think that at some point, and maybe you disagree with this, they're going to have to pull a tr- the trigger on some sort of deal like that just to bring somebody into the fold because Memphis being the small market that it is has never been a free agent destination. I mean, the best free agent or the biggest free agent, maybe not the best, uh, Tony Allen would probably disagree with me. Uh, the best free agent acquisition that, or excuse me, I almost did it again. The biggest free agent acquisition that the Memphis Grizzlies ever had was Chandler Parsons. And we know that ended pretty terribly. Um, so you're not bringing in, you're, and you had to overpay to get Chandler Parsons. So Giannis isn't coming here. These guys aren't coming here. They're doing a good job building through the draft, restricted free agency. John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. are likely going to be around for a while. But when it comes to bringing in that third man, so to speak, going back to wrestling references, uh, bringing in the third man from the NWO days, uh, if you're trying to acquire a scoring wing who is capable of being an all-star, you're either going to have to do it through the draft, which I think they have enough capital to do eventually in a trade, or you're going to have to trade for a guy like a Bradley Beal, like a Devin Booker, when do you pull the trigger on that saying, in your opinion, do you do it this summer? Is it next summer? Or do you say this group has done a great job? Let them try to find some continuity and gel. See what Dylan Brooks and DeAnthony Melton can be. We had Sam Vecini on the show earlier this week. He said four years, $50 million actually makes a lot of sense for the Atlanta Hawks to offer DeAnthony Melton. It may not make as much sense for the Memphis Grizzlies to match that offer if it happens. Are you okay with this roster as it is for the next, you know, two years or so? Or do you see a trade being needed eventually, maybe not right away, but eventually to try to round out this roster and get it into championship contender form? They're not a title contender yet, but to keep guys like John Jaron around, you're going to have to get to that stage at some point. I think that um, I'm, I'm extremely torn on this, man. Like my, I think about this literally all day long. And it might, where I'm at on it goes back and forth all the time. I see the side where you say, okay, this team is ahead of schedule. They're young. Let these guys grow and see what you're going to be. But if you look at every championship team, even if you look at the, the Golden State Warriors, when people talk about how they built their own team and they built it you know, a certain way, they still built that team around two and a surprise guys, a surprise guy and in, in, in Draymond Green. The two guys they built it around were Klay Thompson and Steph Curry, who were phenomenal players at their position. Draymond Green was a surprise. Everything else has been rotating parts around those two guys, and that's one of the greatest teams you've ever seen. I think that a lot of fans think they there's going to be this situation where you're going to have this seven young guys all around the same age who are going to be here forever and ride us off into championships. It's just like never happened before. Like you've never had a team where it's like a bunch of guys who are all the same age and they all came up together and you're like, you're like seven deep with top 20 players. Like that's not going to happen. Like that's, that's not the way that a championship team is built. And I think that um, if there is an opportunity to get a player who's that third all-star level player, I think you have to get that guy. And I think I would not, I'm not making a prediction here, but I totally would not be surprised if that happens next season. Uh, with the Grizzlies being loaded with the draft picks they have, I don't think they're actually going to make all those draft picks. I don't think. I think if you're making all those draft picks, something kind of went wrong. If those right. draft picks have value, you know what I mean. So uh, I think you kind of mishandled those draft picks if you end up making all those picks. 
So I, I honestly would not be surprised to see them uh, make a move next year to propel this team um, to the next level, which kind of worries me sometimes because I feel like a team like Minnesota, um, they, they, they've rushed their rebuild too fast when they went and got Jimmy Butler. And it, it, you have to be, you have to get the right guy. You have to get the right type of guy who could come in and, and, and do something major. Uh, but it can't be a guy who's so ahead of schedule who you got Jimmy Butler, who's, who comes here and he was the worst vet to have as far as being a leader with that young team. So you have to get a guy who can get in and be a part of what Ja um, is already doing as the leader of the team. That's a great point. I think that has to be the key. It's all about personality, right? And Parker, I'll get I'll get you in on this as, as well. The the personality thing. You know, Sam Vecini talked about Chris Middleton. If if Giannis leaves the Bucks for whatever reason, Matt Hardlicka has talked about Chris Middleton. To me, that type of player. You know, Devin Booker obviously is a great scoring wing. We talked about Beal a moment ago. A Chris Middleton type to to go off of what Sane was just talking about. Middleton can get defend. Middleton, Middleton, excuse me, can shoot the three at an elite rate. And Middleton has a personality that won't rock the boat. This is John Morant's team. We have at least one, maybe two, max contract players on the roster right now. John Morant is a max contract player. You could probably argue that Jaron Jackson Jr. is, um, but that that's a little bit more debatable. My point is this. They just are. They don't have max deals yet. They're on rookie contracts. So while you're in this spot, you have to figure out what pieces fit around them and who you're going to invest in. Because while you're pretty cap flexible at the moment, that's eventually going to end, Parker. And you need to make sure, because the same said, if you pull that trigger too early or too late, you miss your window and you set yourself back. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I know it's really fun to have these trade machine deals for Bradley Beal and for Devin Booker. Zach Levine, whoever. Uh, I've said it for the past several months, both on this show and text messages and all that. I would rather use that draft capital and some of the players that will be expiring contracts at some point, whether it's Jonas Valanciunas or Dylan Brooks, to move up in a draft and go get you a guy that can grow with John Jaron and also be on a cheap deal for four years. And then with that cap flexibility, maybe do like what Philly did with JJ Redick and offer a giant kind of one year max to a veteran player who can go in and immediately help this team. Whether it's a guy like a, a Gordon Hayward or DeMar DeRozan or something, that'd be pretty nice. But also one thing that you're doing at the same time, and I think that goes underrated with let's say deals like the Anthony Davis deal is when you do that and you nab cheap talent, that is producing at an above starter rate. Like let's say you get someone like a Jalen Green or Kate Cunningham or BJ Boston. That is a tangible asset you can use in the future trade to make that final push, kind of like what Toronto did with with uh, Kawhi Leonard last year, where you have this disgruntled star over somewhere else, but you have that one more piece that you need to make that push to win it all, and you go all in and do it. And I think it's the perfect opportunity to do that, especially, I mean, LeBron, he's not getting any younger. Both Kawhi and Paul George are up in years and free agents in 2021. We don't know the Clippers' future. So I would rather just do that because at the bare minimum, you have this like quasi-core four of John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, and then a young wing. It has just the upside to become a championship contender, not even just for two, three years, but for the rest of the decade. 
I think Kawhi Leonard is like 29 or 30 years old. I think, did Parker just say he's up in years? Uh, that's, he's 30. That's, oh, man, that makes me feel really old. Uh, yeah, maybe so like I might as well start <laughs> feeling playing. Start, start digging the ditch I, for me insane. Like 29 or 30, I might be wrong. Uh, I was looking yeah. at the 2021 free agency. Whew, that, that cut to me a little bit. I'm going to be honest. Uh, I need to start finding the, the Undertaker. I am the Undertaker. Maybe I am already dead, and I don't even know it. <laughs> Um, uh, right. we'll get you out of here talking about your stuff. You, you mentioned your staff that you're building over there, all grizzlies.com. Talk a little bit about what you're doing on social media and what you're doing at the site. Uh, yeah, man, just trying to put a team together. Uh, I got a couple interns and I added over the last uh, week or so, uh, I have a girl, young lady named uh, Carmen Darden. She's our community initiative reporter. She's going to be uh, basically fo- focusing on things that affect the communities that the Grizzlies do, uh, not just the players, but, you know, front office staff, things that they do, things like what Robert Perez has done. We talked about earlier. Those are the, the things that are going to be uh, in her wheelhouse that she's going to focus on. Uh, also got uh, Lee Alwyn, uh, Lee Alwyn Seabury. He's another young man I talked about earlier. He's just going to be doing basic general, you know, Grizzlies reporting. Um, write-ups and columns and things like that. Um, just trying to get, like I said, man, I, I want more um, minority voices to be out there, and I'm not hiding the fact that I'm, you know, trying to be open for that. And um, those are two uh, minorities that I have, two, a black a black lady and a black man that I'm trying to open doors for, and um, this is something I'm really focused on right now. That's terrific. Well, for whatever it's worth saying, and like I said, I've known you for a while now. I'm proud of you, buddy. You're you're doing a oh, great job you, over man. there, doing a great job, and it's really <clears throat> cool to see you. You've come a long way, as have I, uh, from those from right. those uh, summer avenue humble days. beginnings, humble right. beginnings. That's right. Uh, for for us to for you to guest host, which is just amazing, but for us to have guest spots and and that sort of thing on major radio in Memphis, you know, we've mm-hmm. we've come a long way, and your yeah, path, man. as we talked about earlier. Uh, was tougher for reasons that aren't exactly fair. So it's really amazing yeah. that that you've done so well, and I'm happy for you. And and of course, we'll have you back on down the road. Oh yeah, appreciate you, brother. I, I tell right. people all the time we we push each other, and I, I appreciate you for it, man. Yep, definitely. Well, thank you, Sane, for your time again at Sane Asylum on Twitter. Make sure you're checking out allgrizzlies.com. As I said earlier, a rising tide raises all ships. At this point, it's it's not competition as much as it's pushing each other. The iron sharpens iron. Idea. Uh, from mm-hmm. the Bible. So so thank you, Sane. Thank you to my co-host, Parker, for joining us here in the second segment. Thank you so much for listening. However you're checking us out, make sure you're sticking with grizzlybearblues.com, allgrizzlies.com. Uh, there's so much great free content out there that you can stay up to date with everything that's happening with the Memphis Grizzlies. So uh, make sure you're following us and uh, sticking with us as the Orlando bubble get started so for saying for parker i'm joe mullinax make sure you're checking out our job listings over at grizzlybearblues.com checking out our posts over at gbb every day uh for new content again for parker for saying i'm joe thank you grind forth grizz nation this is grizzly bear blues live <laughs>